to Back in My Play. This is episode number 48. For this episode, we're going portable to the Game Boy and talking about Castlevania 2 Belmont's Revenge. My name is Kevin Larrabee, and I'm very happy to have back on the show the uh, resident Castlevania expert that has been on for a bunch of episodes now to talk about Castlevania games, and that is, of course, Kurt Collada of Hardcore Gaming 101. Kurt, how you doing? I'm pretty good. Man, like this is uh this is I feel like this is an episode where I, I was like bugging you months ago to do and then I kept like felt like I kept going away and then I would see the game on my shelf I'm like yeah, I got to get Kurt on to talk about this game mostly because the soundtrack is something that constantly is being played in my iTunes feed and of course we're starting off with some music from the game and then people can experience that today. But I but before we get into like any of that stuff, uh I want to quickly mention that uh, we've had some great people that have been helping out uh, through the back of my play Patreon. We're at about like $50 per episode now, which is super awesome. Uh, so thank you to to everyone out there that is helping to uh, support the show. And if you want to and make sure uh, it makes it a little bit more of a kick in the butt to get these episodes out, a little bit more incentive on my end, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash back in my play and you can support the show starting at just a dollar. And I know, Kurt, you guys are doing kind of the same idea. Like Patreon has been a great way for our audiences to help support us. Oh, yeah, it's definitely helped uh, in drawing lots of contributors and getting stuff updated more regularly. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great setup. And, and what's the what's the link for for you guys? Uh, Patreon.com slash HD 101. Let's see if there's an underscore in there or not. Worst, worst case, we, we'll throw it in the show notes. Um, so you can yeah. jump on there. But um, yeah, like for, for just going off topic for a second, like, you know, what you guys are doing in terms of just like awesome articles and things like that is, is something that I cannot give enough praise. And we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, the new books that you guys have put together, the latest uh, book that has come out on Amazon and the Kindle and all that stuff that people can check out in a little bit. But before we do any of that, we're going to take lots of breaks because this is a fantastic soundtrack. We're going to take a break right now, and then we're going to be coming back with the history of Castlevania to Belmont's Revenge. So stick around. We'll be right back. Revenge, and I'm just going to throw some really basic stuff out there. Uh, specifically, the release dates for for North America, August 1991. This was before we had those release dates, like our Mortal Mondays and our Sonic Tuesdays, where we had more definitive dates. But luckily, in Japan, they were doing uh, you know great with their records in terms of release dates, and uh, the game came out on July 12th, 1991. So really, not too much of a difference between those two uh, release dates. And uh, this is the great part of the show where I get to totally destroy some Japanese names. Um, Kurt, I hope you can you can correct me if I'm going off the path, but I, I really want to uh, emphasize how great the soundtrack is for this game. And I know in you know your Castlevania book, you even mentioned like this is, it, it, it's an argument, but this may just be like right off the bat, the hands down best soundtrack on the Game Boy, no doubt. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, there's definitely no argument with that. Like, uh, I mean, the, the Game Boy sound chip, I don't know it on a technical point. Uh, like how how much it relates to um like the nintendo sound chip like it it had the similar sort of uh pulse wave channels but mm -hmm. since it was a portable system for the most part a lot of um, developers didn't really pay too much attention to it but konami as usual they just did all did with the best they could yeah and i i can't remember who i had on the show but i remember talking to some people about uh just in terms of the the game boy having really as good of a sound chip as the nintendo entertainment system or at least using similar hardware um so you could get some some really good music out of that thing if you wanted to make use of it um i th think it might have had something to do with being a little bit more processor intensive i don't know this is not the talk for it but uh uh hit hero uh hit a hero uh Funuchi, probably. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll use that. Um, and and this is weird because uh, that composer did not do a lot of, or did not get credit for a lot of soundtracks uh, for for games, but was more of like an assistant or more worked on the programming for the soundtrack and was not necessarily credited as a composer on a lot of games. But uh, again, like we mentioned before, this is first and foremost uh, you know, a game that is a, just a really big shining star of the Game Boy library when it comes to the music. Uh, it is also available. If you want to get the, uh, I forget what this, the disc series is actually called, but I think it's like the uh, Legends of Dracula collection, uh, the second one that is a multiple CD collection that I have right next to me uh, that you can pick up in Japan. It's the second in the series. They've, the first one had uh, Castlevania 1, 2, and 3 on the Famicom and Famicom Disk System, obviously. And then uh, this consists of Castle, uh, Super Castlevania, uh, Castlevania Adventure, or uh, The Legend of Dracula. And I think it's, or maybe it's... Uh, it's Castlevania Adventure. Well, they, they even changed the names between the two Game Boy releases, so they made it nice and confusing for for us over here too. With Castle, Castlevania Adventure being the first one on the Game Boy, and then Castlevania Two: Belmont's Revenge. While they kept the same naming structure in Japan, but that's uh, what they like to do when it comes to releasing games over here. Um, and, and Kurt, I kind of want you to take a little bit of this over, literally, because you wrote the book on it. And when I went to go look for some some information on this game there really isn't a lot out there yeah there's not really a whole lot to say about it because it's just it's uh like it's a really well well crafted game but in order to talk about it, you have to go back to the original castlevania adventure which uh was I've, i know it was a release around the time of uh the game boy uh it wasn't a launch title but it was close up there and it's one of the first games that i played for it and um it was it was before the the tropes of Castlevania were really set down because it came out like after Castlevania two, but before Castlevania three. So it had a lot in common is that you were a guy with a whip and uh, you had to fight Dracula through force and stuff like that. But uh, a lot of the things that the series became known for, they're not really present or they're changed. Like instead of having stairs, you climb up ropes. Um, when you upgraded your whip, you got a fireball. There's all sorts of weird enemies that only ever appeared in that game, like the rolling eyeballs. And um, they call it these weird little statues that spit these bouncy things. Uh, the problem is that it was a kind of a terrible game. Uh, mostly, and I don't know if this is a programming issue or this is just something that uh, they struggled with uh, to, with the blurriness of the screen, is that it's mm. really, really slow. Yeah. And it's also really, really difficult. Like, you need to make some really pixel-perfect jumps to get anywhere. Like, you know, even as early as Stage 2, there's only four levels in the game. And it's just um, incredibly frustrating. Mm -hmm. But uh, the good thing about that is, again, the, the soundtrack for that is also fantastic. And uh, going through some of the people that worked on it, like, uh, it actually has a really solid, like, pedigree, weirdly enough. Like, one of the programmers was uh, Masato Maegawa, who, uh, you know, there's been that long time legend that treasure was forded, uh, formed by Konami guys that worked on Castlevania and Contra, mm -hmm. which is like not completely true. Like it was formed by Konami people, but, you know, it wasn't like their teams, but he was like, he's the president of treasure now. Uh, some of the other guys, one of the graphic designers is Nobuya Nakazato, who uh, he he later kind of came the, the director and producer of the Contra series, started with Contra 3. And uh, the sound developers, there's three guys listed here. One of them is that Hidehiro Funuchi guy. The other, one of the others is uh, Nori Hanzawa, which is, uh, he also left Treasure, and he's one of their main sound guys. He uh, usually goes under the name Non. Um, 
But anyway, you know, that was the first one. And a couple years later, it came Belmont's Revenge, which, like, in some ways, it's not hugely different, but at the same time, it refined pretty much every single problem the original game had. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it's not nearly like it's still difficult eventually, uh, but it's not nearly as brutal. It it runs faster. Uh, the music is still excellent. There's a password system, mm-hmm. which um, I mean, the game's still not very long. It's only like six levels in the last boss. Yeah. Um, but it's good for pick up and play, and it's uh, like it's it's not really a patch on the big boy Castlevania games, but as far as other uh, like Game Boys, especially like miniaturized versions of uh, console games, it's just a really really solid action game. Yeah, I think uh, something that we'll talk about in, in a little bit is that it is a weird thing to jump into when you boot up this game and you and you take a look at it. And it's almost like a Mega Man game where you have all these different stages available to you right at the start, at least the first four stages. Um, and then you have really what uh, I'll talk a little bit later about, but it's almost like you go to Wiley, uh, Dr. Wiley's castle uh, when you have to take a lot of the stuff that you learned and then apply it for this, uh, these more difficult stages. But um, I, I bought both these games in Japan and Castlevania Adventure, like you said, it, I don't want to say it sucks, but it's just, it's like, you <laughs> no, just, no, it's, 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 it kind of sucks. Yeah. It, it kind it sucks where like you, I wanted to play it, like you said, because the soundtrack is fantastic, but it just doesn't, it it like it runs at like ten frames per second. It feels like, or you're like walking through very thick mud or wet cement, uh, is the way that I put it. But that's why I wanted to focus on this game. If I was going to talk about a game in the Game Boy series, I want to talk about this one because it is almost like a like much bigger than like a Mega Man two from Mega Man Jump, uh, but just for lots of refinement and lots of uh, improvements and just a lot of fun. So. Yeah, and uh, I mean, the, the most distincting factor of it is uh, the four levels, they have themes around them. There's like the mm-hmm. Crystal Castle, which is, it kind of looks like an ice level. There's uh, the Plant level, the uh, the Rock Castle level, which has this like, like a kind of Egyptian theme to it. Mm. Oh, and what was the fourth one? Plant, Rock, uh, the Sky Castle. Yeah, and the names are different in the, in the Japanese version. At least Sky <laughs> Castle is different. I don't. I don't know if they ever had names because it just shows up. And it does. It does have names. I think. Yeah. When you when you when, when you, you select like, the that, that, stage. That, 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 that. Yeah. When you select the stage, it then shows you the the title at the bottom. What um, were they called in the Japanese one? I actually, I'll have to reboot up my Super Famicom <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, I have both of them, and I, I played the just. Uh, I played in the American one yesterday. This is the great thing about uh, a live podcast and using uh, actual hardware. When you have a PVM on your desk next to where you record your podcast you can do a quick thing like boot up the game and then uh, also we'll talk about how awesome this game is on the uh the super game boy um and i'm gonna look at it right now it is cloud castle cloud castle it might be cloud castle in the uh the english one too they changed some of the text here and there uh primarily the sound test names because mm. uh I think like uh, the the the, uh, the Crystal Castle theme is like named Praying Hands, and there's just like some vague religious references. So um, in the sound test in the American version, they just change it to like BGM one, BGM two, and it's a nice password system where it's just four things that you can pick from. Like the sound test is just heart, 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 <laughs> so you can get access to those sweet jams and then plug in uh, your big fat Game Boy into your boombox to blast those those things while you drive through the t- uh, you know your favorite city maybe uh, Castlevania I don't know anyways <laughs> let's uh, let's take another quick break and then we'll we'll come back and we're going to talk about uh, our histories and our memories with the, the game and the series in the Game Boy at the time which I think is good to put this game into context with some other stuff that was out at the time so stick around we'll be right back with that
Right, we're making it all the way back to 1991, and we're going to be talking about uh, our memories and history of this game. And, and Kurt, I need to ask you if, you know, at that time, were you, were you into the Game Boy? And as soon as you saw a Castlevania pop game pop up, were you going for the first Castlevania adventure? Did it burn you? And then did you still look out for the second game in the series? No, I didn't have a Game Boy growing up. Uh, my, my dad thought it was stupid. So I wasn't allowed to have one. He was like, why, why are you going to spend all the money in these tiny little black and white things? And I was, I was 10 years old. I couldn't argue with that. It's, so <laughs> that's so funny that you say that because my cousin was not allowed to have home consoles, but his parents would just dump tons of money into Game Boy and Game Gear because they were totally fine with him playing games in the car. But as soon as he was back at the house, no video games. Huh. They're weird. Um, I played uh, the Castlevania Adventure because I went to like a family friend's house and, uh, you know, there was a kid that I was friends with and he had a Game Boy. Mm-hmm. So I got to play it there. Um, but for a long time, Castlevania 2 uh, was just something I had read about Nintendo Power. Mm. And, you know, I was always kind of curious about it. I didn't get to play it until a couple years later um, when my uh, my computer was able to connect to the Internet. And uh, <laughs> this was in 95, 96 or so. And uh, I was beginning to discover emulators. And this was when things were still very basic. Like they were Nintendo emulators, but they didn't work well and they were in weird formats. But Nesticle. the one emulator, yeah, this is before Nesticle. Whoa, okay. Uh, there's this weird thing called Passofami where they had these weird formats. It played music through the FM thing in your sound blaster. Like the palette what? was all weird. But, and there was only like half a dozen games where it worked. Um, but anyway, one of the, the systems that actually did have a really good emulator and had uh, easily available ROMs was the Game Boy. Mm-hmm. So I downloaded a lot of like Game Boy versions of Nintendo games, uh, like Bionic Commando and Super Mario World 2 and Zelda and uh, Castlevania 2 was one of those. So that's where I first got to play it. But like, what did you think? Did you, did you, I mean, that, with the emulation, was it running super slow or anything like that? No, I mean, the, it was pretty good. It was running on like an old 48633 and uh, it ran pretty well. I mean, it didn't make a gigantic impression on me other than like, hey, this is, this is pretty good. It's better than that old one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and and this is when a lot of the games, it, it is almost like the the PSP of its time, where a lot of those early games were, the companies were trying to bring over their franchises and just kind of keep them one to one, maybe dial them down a little bit. I remember the the big one being like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when that came to the Game Boy with the sprites taking up two thirds of the screen. Uh, and you could barely see anything that was in front of you. But uh, with, with Castlevania 2 or Belmont's Revenge, uh, you actually get a much more similar scale than what you would get out of uh, an NES game. Um, even with Castlevania Adventure, a little bit wasn't, I think it was a little bit more zoomed in. Um, but this seemed to be uh, a pretty good, pretty good time for the Game Boy where companies were iterating and really squeezing a lot more out of that two year old system at the time. Yeah, I mean, that was a, the problem that uh, Konami faced later with uh, Kid Dracula and Mega Man. Like, they kept yeah. the sprites, like, resolution-wise, exactly the same as the Nintendo. Um, so when you played them on the, the tiny little screen, they were just, it's just off proportionally. It just doesn't feel right. And, uh, like, Castlevania is one of those games that doesn't suffer from that, so... Yeah, that I mean, there's still, as much as Mark McDonald, every time, you know, in Japan, he wants to take a, a big steaming dump on the Game Boy. Uh, it, it does have some really, really cool games on it. And even uh, I just picked up this off-topic Mega Man uh, 5 on the Game Boy is actually really, really good. And it plays well, too. Um, so maybe that will be something that I uh, have on the show down the road. More recently, I was just playing a Game Boy Bionic Commando because I got a like I had the American version forever, but I just wanted to collect the Japanese one. Mm-hmm. And that is a damn good port. Like, I mean, it's uh, they kind of it's just based on the, the Nintendo game, but it's it, they take out all the neo-Nazi stuff. So you're not fighting Hitler anymore. And Bummer. it gives it kind of a uh, like anime cyberpunk futuristic look to it. And it, it looks really cool. Um, it, they kind of rough out some of the uh, the edges from the Nintendo game. Like actually start with a life meter. Some of the boss battles a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has the same thing where uh, your character is proportioned really well. So even when you're playing on a Super Game Boy, like you don't run into that zooming problem. Yeah, Super Game Boy was not out at this point. but uh, So it doesn't really have – like a lot of later Game Boy games actually have like a uh, – 
like a tile set that will automatically boot up when you put in uh, put it into a Super Game Boy. So you kind of have to mess around with with this game a little bit. But I'll uh, talk a little bit about that in the next segment when I uh, mention how I played the game. Um, I know, Kurt. Like I know this is since we don't have like a ton of history with the game. I don't know if there's anything else you want to include in this segment, just in terms of the time. I don't know even where where Castlevania was at the time because, like you said, it came it came out in between two and three on the NES. Uh, I guess there's not really a whole lot to say about it. It's just, I think it, 91, it came out. That was after Castlevania 3, before Castlevania 4. Ah, okay. So, um, I mean, as far as the game itself, like, there's some, uh, like, clever things about it. Like, uh, the spiders, when uh, you have to kind of kill them at a certain time so you can, you know, jump on them and climb them. There's this one uh, weird room where, like, it kind of goes dark and light and you're not really clear as to why it isn't first until you realize that the light is being uh, shown by the candles. So as long as you don't destroy any of the candles and you get through the room really easily. Yeah, let's let's, okay. Let's uh, we'll we'll wrap up this segment. You get to hear some more awesome music from the soundtrack and it's probably going to be a long, like, these tracks are actually relatively long. They're like a minute and a half long before they repeat. So uh, you'll probably hear the whole thing and then we'll come back and talk about revisiting this game today and why you should take a look at it. Stick around. Functional. Uh, one downside, you, you did uh, not hear me mention that the, this game is available on the 3DS eShop, at least in the States. It is not available. They have Castlevania Adventure, but they have not released uh, Castlevania 2 Belmont's Revenge on the US eShop, which is a really, really sad state of things because uh, it is a game that is kind of getting expensive uh, for the US version. Yeah. I know, like, and for the the Japanese version, I think I paid like thirteen hundred yen for a loose cart. So even over there, it's getting a little bit uh, up there in terms of price too. So, uh, hey guys, put it out on the eShop. You know, people will spend four bucks on this. I'm positive. <laughs> yeah, fifteen uh, fifteen years ago or so, maybe around that time, uh, back when Electronics Boutique they still stocked, uh, you know, old. Or retro games they were that retro um but I, they stumbled in they had a box copy of castlevania 2 and operation c for like 10 15 bucks each nice. and i was like you know i'm i'm fans of these games but i only had an, uh enough money to buy one so i bought operation c which i mean it's you know it's a cool box cover and it's not like worthless or anything but compared to belmont's revenge we're getting a box copy that will set you back like three figures at this point and i'm like ah yeah yeah well it's it's if if we just had money and we had foresight <laughs> to remember yeah. that, like, man, I should buy all these like box copies of Earthbound for fifteen dollars on clearance. There's just this pile of them right now. Are those copies of like whatever was uh, the second Panzer Dragoon game that I should really buy because now it goes for like three hundred dollars on eBay? Um, oh yeah, Panzer Dragoon Saga. Yeah, so. Unfortunately, that's uh, until they invent time machines. We uh, are out of luck. But 
this this game, uh, like I mentioned before, is is something that I literally picked up just because I heard the soundtrack randomly on YouTube. I think I was looking for uh, just listening to random Castlevania music while I was doing uh, a bunch of busy work, and somehow this one of the tracks from this game popped up, and I'm like, whoa, this is this is coming out of the Game Boy. Holy crap! Like this is something I gotta at least take a look at. Looked at some videos of the game on YouTube and immediately put it on my to buy list next time I was in Japan because I looked on eBay and I wasn't going to spend whatever it was like $25 for a loose Game Boy card of a game. I didn't know if I was going to like or not. So um, for for this playthrough, I tried playing it on a Game Boy Pocket, which is probably the best Game Boy to play it on uh, unless you have a Game Boy Advance or a backlit Game Boy Advance, which I do have, but the sound stopped working on that, and I didn't want to deal with the blurriness of the Game Boy Pocket. So what do you do? Of course, you plug it in to the fantastic device, which is the Super Game Boy. Kurt, do you have one of these, the Super Game Boys? Oh, yeah. That's how I played it last night when I was going through it again. Oh, man. Does it? And right off the bat, this game really scales well to a bigger screen. Yeah. <laughs> Like it, it just it's one of those like you put Super Mario Land in a Super Game Boy, and it's gonna feel like playing a Game Boy game. And you put this game in a Super Game Boy, and it feels like man, I'm kind of playing like a a super early black and white NES game. Maybe uh, probably a little bit worse, but uh, anyways, I think if you're gonna play it today, to throw it in a Super Game Boy, it upscales well on a big TV, or if you have a smaller like CRT, uh, it's definitely a good way to play because otherwise you need like a light source and all that garbage is just the game man maybe mark was right the hardware is not so great but the games through a super game boy pretty good um and maybe the first thing that we should talk about is the we talked a lot about the soundtrack but let's talk about the graphics of this game because they did some really neat tricks and we were even talking a little bit or we had like a kind of a side conversation on twitter about um like things they were trying to do, like fake parallax scrolling with flicker in the in the in the backgrounds and stuff like that. There's lots of cool tricks. Yeah, that's like because when you go into you know that uh, like sky castle, cloud castle level, mm-hmm. when you first start, there's a window there where you see stuff in the background and it's flicking. And when you move, it almost kind of looks like it's parallax, and mm-hmm. it's not, but it's a, just a neat little trick. And you can't even like I tried taking uh, even a video of it on my iPhone, but it must be flickering like at fast like at sixty frames per second or something like that because my phone I couldn't even like I try to pick a, take a vine of it, but it flickers so fast and it is that almost it's that NES like whatever flicker that you'll see in some games that they're trying to just draw one thing once and then draw something else in that separate frame and then just flip back and forth between those two to make it look like stuff is moving and they do the same thing for. Uh, like whether it was lava or water or whatever, uh, sometimes underneath you, you'll see like water or lava moving. And again, they'll use those same kind of like fake flicker tricks. But um, also in the background, there's really nice, this is a weird thing to talk about, but first off, like the tiles, the tile set or the actual environments have some pretty decent detail in them. And uh, the things like when you're in the plant castle, when you walk by, you know, flowers, they bloom. Uh, almost like in a Kirby game, uh, if if you can use that as a a reference. And uh, I don't know, like it, you you probably played a lot more Castlevania Adventure one than I did, but it just seems like across the board animation is better. There's obviously, like you said, there's less slowdown and stuff like that. Yeah, that's definitely true. It's uh it's something that you know the better graphic, uh, the Game Boy graphic designers would compensate for, since they didn't really have color. You know. They would put a lot more work, at least the good, good ones again, in uh, especially the backgrounds, hmm. uh, you know, just to give it uh, some texture other than just, you know, like blank space. Yeah, it's it's it. I don't know. It's 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 hard to talk about it because in, in some spots there's just like it feels super dull. But then in other stages, you're like, wow, they put a lot of effort and it's just really interesting background. So I know that's a, a really weird thing to talk about, but I thought it was worth mentioning. And uh, also the the enemies, there's. Because of the Game Boy, you're not going to have as much juice to work with, but uh, there is still a pretty good, um, 
you know, a pretty good lineup of enemies. Unfortunately, you might see like only one or two on the screen at a time to uh, make sure that the thing doesn't go down to 10 frames per second. But um, I thought a lot of the enemies were super easy, except for something that you mentioned in the book, like those goddamn gargoyles that will spit these like fireballs at you that they're super annoying because they take your whip power ups from you. Yeah, that's uh, that was one of the, the big improvements over the Castlevania adventure was that every time when you powered up and got the flame whip, every time you would get a hit, it would get downgraded, mm-hmm. which was infuriating. And in this game, like there's a hard mode where you can activate that if you really want to. But for the most part, except for those certain enemies, like your whip won't get downgraded, which makes it a lot more approachable, especially in, in uh, boss battles. That's weird. It's like they almost wanted to have like a Super Mario Brothers like system of power-ups or something like that yeah it was probably based off that but you know in practice it was really terrible yeah totally um and this was my first experience with a fire whip which it, when you have that you are at a huge advantage because you have enemies like obviously like every castlevania game you have like bats hanging from the wall and just like every other castlevania game the bats can kind of be a pain in the ass once they hit you and then you try to hit them and then they can't be hit because they're like right inside of you uh and then you need to try to line up another shot so when you have that fire whip and you can take care of them before they even see you or they get activated to come after you that is a a really big deal so when you lose that it then uh i guess like i said becomes a big deal when you lose that it's a it's a really nice power up to have and um, I think uh, one of the only really major differences between the Japanese and American version are uh, the weapons, the sub-weapons. Yeah. Is that there's – the original Castlevania Adventure didn't have any, which made it feel really strange. And this one only has two. The uh, the Holy Water, which is in both versions. Mm-hmm. But in uh, the Japanese version and, um, and like the later compilation re-release, you have the boomerang. Yeah. And in the American version, you have the axe. What, what, why did they do that? <laughs> <laughs> um, it could have just been like a, a later release where they were, I mean, it was only released like a month later, but somebody yeah. was like, well, the axe might be a little bit more useful because it travels at an arc. Whereas like the boomerang is definitely more powerful than the flame whip is, mm-hmm. but it's still just like a straightforward projectile. So in some ways you can be like, maybe it's redundant. I also kind of thought that since, uh, the other change they made was changing the song names for religions. Like maybe somebody clueless along the line was oh. like, it looks like a cross. Let's change it. Even though the same weapon had been in other Castlevania games without a problem on the Nintendo. So, I mean, Nintendo and religion. Just, I mean, it could have been either Nintendo or Konami. That's just, you know, speculation. Well, I mean, it's, it's not, well, obviously the Castlevania games, but even same thing with like stuff in Zelda games where they've had to take out that stuff when it comes over to America too. So, yeah. Um, weird. Uh, I actually, I found the, the boomerang to be super effective for that thing that you mentioned before, which is the, the areas where like rope platforming or the, you know, traversing on the ropes is super important. And that's one of the biggest challenges is just jumping from rope to rope to rope or from like spider, like line to spider line, because, uh, there's areas where you'll have like four spiders, that will just be over a gap where you need to kill all four of those spiders, but they're moving up and down. So you need to make sure that you either get close enough where you can line up a shot, but they're also spitting fireballs at you. So I found that boomerang to be really effective to get a good you know amount of distance so I can kill those spiders ahead of time while they have their web or their line being really long. So you can make those jumps. And just in terms of the, the platforming and stuff, like there is some... I think you mentioned this before, but each one of those castles has like their own individual feel. Like there's one that, you know, you're going to be dealing with a lot of jumping from rope to rope that are alternating from up, like moving up and down at the same time. Or if you get caught going too high or too low, you're going to go into spikes. Um, And uh, there's just lots of like challenge just in the jumping, which you think Castlevania, you don't really think it has the best platforming of most action games. Yeah. But they did it. So Yeah. And it worked out pretty well. And um, I know, have you got to the point where you've played Castlevania Legend yet? No, no. That's what everyone was yelling at me. It's like, you got to play first Castlevania Legends. And then everyone was saying you also need to play Castlevania Rebirth now. So hopefully we can talk about, you know, if not one, both those towards the end. Yeah. Oh, it's a, it was a sequel to it. And it wasn't so good, but just for like subtle reasons. 
Yeah, maybe that's uh, that, that's something I also looked for when I was in Japan. I didn't see it when I was in Japan, so I didn't grab it. Um, and again, the fortunately, still the the Japanese price or Japanese price are a lot lower than U.S. stuff on like eighty percent of the games oh. that we buy today. It's crazy. Oh, Castlevania Legends! That was uh, it, it was for a long time as expensive because it was a, it was a really late release. Mm. So, uh, whereas I got to the Japanese version relatively recently in box for like three thousand yen. So. That's not bad. Not bad at yeah. all. That especially if you're right now thinking about going to Japan, the conversion rate is unbelievable right now. So just spend all your money. It doesn't matter. You're safe. You're basically <laughs> not you're wasting money if you don't spend a lot of money. Yeah, the last time I was there, what, four years ago, I think it was eighty yen to a dollar. Now it's like 115, 120. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm going back in like six weeks. I just I got a list. I got a laundry <laughs> list of stuff or a shopping list to buy. But um the 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 other thing, like and, and not just like on the I guess just in terms of the ropes, like there, there's uh, skeleton enemies too that will be sliding up and down the ropes while throwing bones at you. So there, there's some really there's Castlevania like situations where you're like, I, there's no way I'm going to get past this part. It's going to be frustrating. Maybe I should just rush past this guy. But it is the same case where you just need to start really learning these enemy movements, and that's that's one of the things that I've really come to enjoy and respect about the Castlevania series is the, you really get rewarded. If you learn an enemy's pattern, you can really get through levels quickly. Um, and I don't it's It's just so weird. I never appreciated that as a kid. And I just wanted to, I just got frustrated where now I really get a lot of uh, appreciation or I get a lot of enjoyment of just like the respect that it gives you when you learn the the patterns of an enemy or the spawn points and then you can just blow through a level in like five minutes instead of you know, constantly having to to restart <laughs> yeah fighting those uh the hunchbacks or the crows in uh the early castlevania games even though those are yeah. the kind of randomized that'll that'll definitely put you in order <laughs> yeah aw- aw- awkward jumping patterns there's frogs in this game as well that will do the same thing where like 90 percent of the time if you have a jumping enemy that is jumping over you just try to stay underneath them the whole time because they'll always have like a really nice arc and then just hit them when they land uh and you'll be good to go there's also enemies that will be throwing knives at you in two or three parts in the in the game that you're going to need to deal with uh as well um but I, I thought, like for the most part, those first four stages were relatively easy, and the boss battles were were pretty easy too. I don't even think like I don't even think there was one that I got stuck at enough where I had to continue. Yeah, it's, it's I think it's just uh, the fact since you can play them in any order, mm-hmm. like you can't really make the levels too difficult, and it's not like Mega Man where. Uh, like there's an advantage to playing them in a certain order. It's just like a matter of choice. Mm-hmm. So they kind of had to keep the difficulty flat for those sections. And then when you get to Dracula's castle, it gets significantly more difficult. <laughs> then the last boss is, you know, classic Castlevania Dracula bullshit. Okay, no, that last. Okay, let's we'll we'll, we'll t- let's talk about this now. So um, I, I played through the whole game again. I got to the the last boss today. When I was in Japan, I played it on the Game Boy Pocket, and I got to the second uh, Dracula castle stage, and then kind of just like lost interest or maybe it was just when I had to go back, but uh, I made it all the way to the final boss battle today. And I guess before that I'm playing it in Japanese, so I wasn't really sure, but I guess in the the second to last boss battle or what I thought was the last boss battle, you're actually fighting uh, Christopher Belmont's son. Yeah. The that plot was- of this game is uh, <laughs> it takes like 15 years after the first one. And uh, like in this game, his son has been kidnapped by Dracula. And of course, then, yeah. <laughs> and then, then, then he was also like had a curse on him. So then you have to fight your son to break the curse, uh, and then you get to go fight uh, Dracula. Which this boss battle, I tried it for twenty minutes. It is impossible. I could not find a pattern of there's uh, Dracula is surrounded by these like balls that will then start in a circle around him, then shoot out like in all directions, and I could not find a pattern or a platform or anything that I could do to avoid getting hit almost every single time that he did this. And then to get close enough to him to hit him in the head with your whip and then get back into a safe spot, I could not do it. It was impossible to me. I swear I remember like playing on a Game Boy in like high school gym class. Like, I was able to do it. But when I played it yesterday, yeah, it was just nonsense. I mean, there yeah. is there are like... You know, depending on when he where he appears, like there are certain kind of safe spots like, uh, you know, platforms you can sort of duck on that you can consistently dodge them. But it happens so quickly. And just being able to uh, get to that platform in time is just 
Yeah. I, I totally had like my, I, I had my fun with it. I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend one more minute trying to beat, you know, Dracula again. Uh, you know, I've already beaten him a couple different times in, in Castlevania games. I think I should have his respect at, to yeah. a certain extent at this point. Um, but yeah, that, that was just like a, a little bit of a, a bummer where when we talked about like Castlevania Bloodlines, like that final boss was doable. At least it was something that was, you know, capable of being accomplished by someone that didn't, you know, have all day or wasn't just like the one game I was going to have for the next six months to play. Um, so that was a little, uh, a little bit of a, a disappointment in, in this game. And I will say, reiterating, playing this on a Super Nintendo and our Super Famicom, like through Super Game Boy with a Super NES uh, gamepad, is definitely the the way to play it because it just it even on like a Game Boy with that smaller D pad and uh, the buttons the way they're aligned. I'm just a much bigger fan of having that like X and B, uh, or I guess it would be. Let me look at my. I guess that's Y and B for for jump and for the uh, whip. To just feels a lot better for for attack. So I think Super or the yeah Super Game Boy is definitely the the way to play uh, this game today. Definitely. Maybe if Nintendo decides to allow for button comp customization on the Virtual Console games at some point, that would be great. But uh, considering what they've been up to lately, probably not. So uh, yeah, I think. Uh, I don't know. Is there, is there anything else? Like, I, I think we hit on a, a lot of the cool stuff. It's just like a really awesome portable Castlevania game that is surprisingly good. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I'm going through some, some of the music again, like, uh, you know, there's a whole ton of Castlevania range albums. And since, mm. uh, you know, it's just a Game Boy game, so they didn't do too many arrangements of them, but, uh, I know in the the Dracula Battle album, there's an arrangement of Ripe Seeds, which is uh, the Plant Castle theme. Mm-hmm. And on uh, Dracula New Cast New Classic, there's, uh, I think, Praying Hands on there. And I, I know there's, there's some other arrangements on other albums. They might be some of the newer ones. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, I guess it's, you know, the, the Castlevania Select Music Select Volume 2. I, I'm sorry, I can't read the Japanese. but Oh, um, yeah, see, um, Akumajo Dracula Best 2. If oh. anybody's uh, looking for it. And it's not that hard to find because, I mean, it came out in like 91, 92, but they reprinted it in 98. So it's pretty common. No, and they reprinted in uh... – oh, you're right. Yeah, it was reprinted in 2000. Yeah. yeah. And then um... – You can get it on – I got it on like Amazon Japan when I was in Japan. Just get it off there. You can probably import it. Oh, yeah. To, and I think it was it was 2,800 yen. And uh, the – just in terms of – Belmont's Revenge, there are 22 tracks from that game on disc two. So really, actually a really nice package with awesome art. Like these, so spoiled over there in Japan with their awesome soundtrack CDs just all over the place. You can get probably <laughs> get it on vinyl too. I wouldn't be surprised if you can, actually you know, I don't know, can you get, can you get like Castlevania music on vinyl? I've never seen Castlevania on vinyl, no. I mean, there's some Dragon Quest I saw. Strangely oh, yeah. enough, on US Amazon, there's uh, some guy selling an R-Type album on vinyl. At least he was like last month. It was like $75, but I was like, that'd be kind of neat to own. Yeah, no, I just throw it on my my record player, just jam out to some, some R-Type. Uh, that's... And you just you've randomly I know uh this is just totally off topic, but last for like Tokyo Game Show, I think uh Shane Bettenhausen, I was following him and when he was out there and he just was randomly finding like amazing like arcade soundtracks on vinyl from the eighties <laughs> and early nineties and that is just awesome. That's why Japan is so awesome. But uh Let's uh, take a break, and we'll come back. We're going to come back and talk about you know a couple other the the series uh, games in the uh, portable series, and also we're going to talk about uh, your awesome new uh, Konami shooter book and how people can get a hold of that and all that great stuff. So stick around. We'll be back with some more retro game retro game news and discussion.
final segment, and uh, one thing that you were talking a little bit about in the the previous segment was the you know the later Castlevania games. I'd like to to ask you just about. Um, you know those, and also Castlevania Rebirth. A lot of people started hitting me up on on Twitter when I said I was going to uh, have this game on the show, and they said you got to go on. I guess it's the Wii. I guess it was still what is it like the Wii eShop? I guess to to check it out. Uh, Castlevania Rebirth on there. Yeah, it's a, it's a WiiWare game. It was WiiWare. Uh, that's what. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, the third uh, portable game is Castlevania Legends, and it was a really late release for the original Game Boy. Uh, it came out after Symphony of the Night. And uh, it was it was supposed to be like the prequel. Like this is the first game in the Castlevania series that even predated Castlevania three. And it started a female character named Sonia Belmont and Alucard was in the game, too. Mm-hmm. And the game itself, it was it looks like it was built on uh, the same same technology as the other games. Uh, like the character looks almost identical to uh, Christopher in the other games. It says it has like a pixel two for a ponytail mm-hmm. and it actually controls a little bit better. Cause she can uh, like jump in midair or, you know, change directions midair, I should say. Uh, the thing is, it just, it's just kind of, kind of dull. Like um, the levels are just long. They don't really have any of the, the cool graphic design that uh, Castlevania two had the music, even though it has like some remixes of older games, it's, it's really like boring. Again, so it's a, it's a very blasé sort of game, and um, it's one of those ones that uh, Koji Igarashi had retconned from the timeline because <laughs> he uh, he decided that he wanted to create his own Belmont origin story, which wasn't really much better because the whole idea is that at the end of the game, like her and Alucard had an affair, and that that baby was Trevor Belmont, so that made the Belmonts like quarter vampire. Oh, jeez. Yeah. All right. Um... Which was, I guess, a neat <laughs> twist, but I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 got a it, obviously it has some nice graphical improvements to it, and it's the um, and this is where I'll I'll take in you know again a, a second to mention the hardcore gaming one hundred and one presents Castlevania, and I'm very happy to have one of the uh, first print runs with the without the unlicensed uh, tag on it, but you can still grab it. It's still the same exact book. You can get it on Amazon for like fifteen or sixteen dollars, and I know we talked a little bit about it last time, but. Uh, just in terms of like what you get out of it. And like, even when I was looking at it for the uh, show, I meant to look at a couple pages and then I spent like 45 minutes just going through the book again and like looking at these games, like, man, maybe I should <laughs> drop a hundred dollars on this, you know, Castlevania game and, and take a look at it and stuff like that. And now I've even considered going back. Well, th- maybe this is timely now that the, uh, the Game Boy Advance games are on the uh, virtual console on the Wii U. Are those, are those worth picking up? Yeah, they're all oh they're they're varying levels. I don't remember which is which are on the eShop now. Do they all have them? They're they're all, all of them are, I think. Yeah. Circle of the Moon was the first one. Mm-hmm. And it was before Koji Girashi kind of re- returned to the series and it was also a launch Game Boy Advance title. That's so right, it's yeah. one of those ones that like it doesn't quite feel like a sixteen bit title. Like it still feels kind of basic. Like it definitely looks a lot better than any of the Game Boy Color games. Mm-hmm. Um but it's 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 kind of interesting because it's it's actually challenging. Like a lot of the Metroidvanias up until Order of Ecclesia were uh, they're, they're pretty easy, mm-hmm. and this one is uh, it's really difficult. Like the boss battle at the end, like uh, you really before you face Dracula, like you really need to explore and get all the other cards and find all the life ups because otherwise you'll get uh, wrecked by him. But uh, it was really it's really dark. The music is is good, but it's very staticky. Um, the ones yeah. after that was Harmony Dissonance, which is that was when Kogi, Koji Garashi came on and he was trying to like do his portable version of Symphony of the Night. Um, mm-hmm. But that is probably the weakest one of them because like the sound, it was the the Game Boy Advance since it didn't have a separate sound chip. It, that goddamn sound chip, man, that destroys like half the games that I want to play on that thing. Is yeah, like even I picked up uh, Final Fantasy V because people like again, that's one of those things that I totally missed. And I guess the best version is the Game Boy Advance version, even yeah. though the the sound is just like sounds like you're you know going through a, a tinny speaker. And that's actually one of the better ones. I thought the like relatively speaking, the the Game Boy Advance one was pretty good. Um, but the problem is there's no dedicated sound chip, so yeah. the the uh, the load has to be handled by the CPU. And if that's doing graphical effects, then it can't do good sound because there's like a bunch of rotational effects on the really big monsters, which looked really impressive for for a Game Boy Advance. But it's, it's kind of disappointing playing that because 
it, it kind of relied on the same sort of channel, sound channels that uh, the Game Boy had. Mm-hmm. So it has that really crunchy, uh, like PSG sort of sound to it. But for so, like, it doesn't sound as crisp as Belmont's Revenge did. And like the soundtrack is just, it's like weirdly experimental. Hmm. And it's like, there's some good tracks to it, but uh, it's just strange, strange music. Yeah. And uh, it's, you, you would think that Nintendo would have learned from the issues that people had developing, you know, music on the Nintendo 64 that you would probably yeah. want to actually not have that take up so many of the CPU resources. And uh, yeah, like f- for real, if, if you're interested in any of the Castlevania games, just definitely it's it's really a no brainer. I would jump on Amazon and and grab the book and you can get the I really I mean, you can get it on Kindle, too, but I think the the paper version is just fantastic it's high quality it's color and um you even go in depth and you even show like if you're interested in the soundtrack stuff you have all the you know information about the soundtracks in there as well and it's a it's a series with fantastic music and it is you know warranted to have so many different releases for the soundtracks and stuff like that it's really cool oh yeah uh, and, and of course, you have a new book that has just come out. And uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about that and just in terms of like the, the history of, uh, you know, the shooters that you talk about. Okay. Well, uh, you know, I was a huge Konami fan uh, you know, back in the late 90s, of course, because I created like, the Castlevania Dungeon, the Contra HQ. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that really got me into importing games was uh, the greatest and produce games. Because, mm-hmm. uh, like one of the first PC Engine games I ever tried outside of, you know, when they added CD support and I could play Dracula X was uh, Proteus. And it was just this like weird, goofy game with uh, flying octopi and uh, <laughs> penguins and stuff like that. Like it's one of those games that the like EGM would always show a picture of either the uh, the flying battleship with the cat face or the big Vegas <laughs> dancer. Be like, this game is too weird for you Americans. <laughs> um, but it, I mean, they're really they're really fun games. And I, I went back and played Gradius. Um, which is something I, I kind of took a long time to warm up to because uh, when I was young, I didn't really like the sort of shoot 'em ups because I found them too difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'd played Life Force at a friend's house, but you know we played it through two player with like the thirty man code, and I had never even played the original Gradius. But uh, this is that time like when I started getting an import, I got uh, Gradius Gaiden, which at that point you know had been described to me as like the symphony of the, of the gradius series because mm-hmm. it it was purely 2d and it just really used uh, the 32-bit muscle really well and also sexy proteus which is like one of my favorite shooters ever yeah. so i just went crazy importing all that stuff and uh discovered the twin b series which is like one of the first really early cutem ups and so that was where i just really got into the genre and i just really loved like again the graphics the music the design they're just a lot of a lot of fun and, uh, you know, eventually once Meme started uh, bringing in all these games that had only ever been in the Japanese arcades, and you just uh, learn about, you know, how these all tie together. And uh, it's just a really fascinating thing that ties them. And uh, they're great games, too. You skipped over the best game in the book, which is Time Pilot. Which I have an odd like uh, I when I when I was in the mode of collecting arcade machines, I knew a collector that had like the Time Pilot arcade machines that we got here in the U.S. They were made out of like really terrible plywood. Like if you find one today that is uh, like a dedicated Time Pilot, they're usually falling apart. Um, but that game is just it's very simple. It's a blast, and I just was really impressed just like I'm, i love time travel stuff so when you see him like the ship when you finish a level and you just warp into a whole different time period with whole different enemies based on a whole different uh you know time in in our history it's just uh it's a really cool game to pick up and it's you know you can probably find it like on the internet playing in a browser too yeah it's all, i think it was on the coleco vision it was one of those like early games which in america i don't know I forget if it was marketed. Like, I know the first Konami game I actually played was actually Super Cobra, which Mm. in turn was like an updated version of the game Scramble, which is one of their first shooters. But it was, you know, one of those games is marketed by Stern, so you didn't really know what uh, Konami was. So I never put together that this was all part of the same lineage. Yeah, Stern. Yeah, Stern cabs are just weird. (laughs) I I played it recently. There's uh, this uh, chain here in New Jersey called Yestercades hmm. where you just uh, you pay like ten dollars down. You get a limited play for like an hour or so. And uh, they had uh, one in the the one in Red Bank. I, I hope those continue to be around and people still <laughs> remember how to do, you know, 
capping, you know, monitor chassis and stuff like that, because that is stuff that uh, after you destroy one chassis and then you have to spend $80 to get it fixed, uh, you start not wanting to collect arcade machines as much. But, um, you know, kind of really this, the same deal with what you did with a Castlevania book. It's just a, you know, really fantastic printout. And you got everything in there from, uh, again, soundtrack CDs and also, you know, games that are, are, are related. Um, also compilations that you can check out. And it might be an easier thing to do if you want to check out. And this is what I was, I was looking for this uh, for the Salamander portable game. Uh, and uh, greatest collection on the PSP when I was in Japan. I couldn't find them. Um, but those are awesome collections that I guess we got. We got greatest collection in the U.S., but we did not get the Salamander Portable. Yeah, we didn't get – we got greatest. We didn't get any of the others, assumedly because it, it probably didn't sell very well. Yeah. But, yeah, there's um, there's four of them in total. There was the, the greatest one, which has uh, – it's uh, the, like they skipped over Gradius too. Uh, mm-hmm. They had never released it in America before. So that was the first time that officially got there. And Gradius Gaiden, again, they had never bought over. Um, so that was the first time those came out there. The other ones, Salamander has the, uh, like, Salamander's also Life Force. Like, there's this mm-hmm. weird sort of convoluted way that they're they're related. And uh, I actually think the Nintendo version of Life Force is vastly superior to the arcade one. Um, but it's sort of neat to see how uh, it, it sprang from. And there's a sequel to that, uh, Salamander 2. Which was okay, but the big big things on those collections were uh, they did a remake of one of the old MSX games. Um, it's it's Gradius Two, but with a numeral, which is completely different from the Gradius Two with the Roman numeral. Weird. Okay. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> like they also put can I put out a lot of their shooters on the MSX, which wasn't so great at scrolling. Uh, so it's sort of like scrolled in like eight. Eight pixels, sixteen. I think it's eight pixel chunks, and it's uh, they're very difficult to get a hold of, like just grasp because they're so choppy. But for this, they uh, they did an upgraded version of that where they uh, it's much smoother. They fixed some of the bugs. Uh, but the real tree of this is uh, this kind of issue called Zexx, which was made in the early nineties for the arcades. It was like the ultimate culmination of every uh, every bit of technology they have. Like it's an amazing looking game. It it sort of plays like Gradius, but I'm almost more like R type. Hmm. Um, but like I can't find a lot of solid data. But from what I, I sort of understand reading through the the Japanese Wikipedia article, is it was kind of a flop because it came out at the same time as Street Fighter Two was sort of dominating everything, and that that kicked a that really damaged a lot of arcade games. So it was their last shooter for like three or four years, and they had never ported it. Um, the closest they had really gotten was uh, the Gunbar Goemon 2 for the Super Famicom. There's little mini games you can play, sort of things. And uh, there was like one level that you could play a miniaturized version of it. But for a long time, it was just like this lost game until uh, MAME brought it up. And then they were, they were going to port it to the PS2 with that really shady uh, game, uh, Oritachi Game Center collection for the PS2. And that ended up getting canned, probably because they couldn't get it running right. And uh, then finally, they brought out the PSV version. So you could play it for legit that's uh yeah it's they're they're really cool collections and uh it would be awesome to have those on like the um playstation store for for psp but yeah i don't just, know why they they don't the the playstation versions of, the, of those games aren't on there either assumedly yeah. because there was already psp versions because i was you know when i got like some uh japanese psn bucks i'm like oh i could get sexy produce and just kind of play it easily on my ps3 <laughs> but like none of them are there might be uh maybe they're on the japanese playstation store or something like that but they're like they're really not the psp games are really not that expensive and the psp is region free so you can always just import them uh, i think they were they go for like 20 or 25 bucks for those collections so it's not like you're gonna break the bank and you're gonna get five really good games uh in most of the or four or five really good games in those collections yeah they were re-released as part of the uh the the best the selects yeah so they they're not that hard or expensive to find so the I mean the final with with this whole book, did you get an answer to the uh the answer other question that is gonna be asked forever, which is what is better, horizontal or vertical shooter? Oh, horizontal. All right. <laughs> That's uh, I mean uh, vertical shooters, it just it, it took me a long time to acclimate to vertical shooters. So Yeah, I'm still uh I still play I I think a lot of I don't know, I still shooters are probably the they're the next genre for me to really start sticking my teeth into especially with uh 
like stuff that's on the PC engine and the Genesis are like the PC engine really is, is stuff that's easy to get into. Uh, some really easy games uh, in terms of shooters on there, but it's also an expensive road to go down on any system. It It is. Uh, but there's, there's, there's some really good, like if you have like, uh, like I have a Japanese new 3ds and you can get, uh, some of those games on the eShop uh, through Japan and then also for the the Wii uh, Virtual Console, there's still a lot of good stuff on there. So, And you can also, you know, find other ways to play it if you want to try before you buy. Um, but, you know, you should still support whatever the hell Hudson is these days or whoever <laughs> the hell owns the rights to those games. But, um, yeah, you can definitely make sure you go to, just go to Amazon and really i don't know if uh you have a shop on there that's best for people to get all those books if they should just search for like hardcore gaming 101 or yeah they- you just uh type in hardcore gaming 101 on amazon and everything everything will pop up we have uh, four of them on there the uh the castlevania the konami shooter uh the big uh, graphic adventure book which i did like four years ago and uh, the sega book we actually just put out a slightly revised version of the sega book that uh includes coverage for the 3ds games and some other like design niceties and things like that oh cool yeah i just got the uh the 3d uh classics game for the, the 3ds and it is amazing it's really oh yeah i think uh fantasy zone is supposed to come out next week or so I hope so. They're supposed to be doing one a month. So they we actually yeah. we should be getting one next week uh, if uh, they're staying on schedule. But yeah, you should totally uh, jump in there and you can really uh, get like a, a good bargain where for I know for the Sega Arcade Classics, like you're they're actually doing a matchbook for that. So you can get it on the Kindle and the print version for the same price. Yeah. The, um uh, for the Castlevania book, and even like even if you like bought the uh, the Sega Classic book originally, and I still need to test it because I think like, everybody tells me it works. Yeah, it works I, for you me. Download uh, the Kindle version; it's the updated one. Oh, cool. Well, I, I don't know if it's the updated. Yeah, I'll have to uh, I'll have to take a look. But um, that's I know you posted a link about that. But yeah, just um, check it out. And you know, for for some of these books, like for the shooters book, it's right now it's like it's under fifteen dollars. Like it is a, a real no brainer to to pick that up and uh, also do a you know part two and submit a review and uh, get some, get some good word out there. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. And I, I will mention uh, as Kurt was mentioning before, you can uh, support, you know, the shows uh, patreon.com slash HG one Oh one is for hardcore gaming one Oh one to make sure that uh, Kurt can continue to make outstanding content over there and take the time to, to put together uh, some awesome uh, selections of, of work just, just really great stuff. If you're listening to this podcast, that website is made for you. And same thing, these books uh, should be in your in your library. And for Back in My Play, it's just patreon.com slash Back in My Play. And we're getting close to that, maybe that $100 mark where I'll have to then sit down and play through an RPG, whether it be Chrono Trigger or all these RPGs that I just have never played through. Uh, or maybe I'll just say Final Fantasy IV and Dragon Quest V are the two best RPGs of all time and just be done. <laughs> I mean, I think that, that that can probably be a good answer too. So, uh, yeah, Kurt, thank you so much for for taking the time to talk about some supportable Castlevania uh, gaming. And I don't know, is there anything else coming up on the site or that people should keep a lookout for? Uh, not too much. The next book we're working on is uh, I want to try and make like slightly shorter digests that mm-hmm. cover a whole bunch of different topics. And uh, I kind of hope to have that out by June. Uh, the first issue is going to concentrate on Strider and Bionic Commando, but also on like uh, similar wire action or Strider clone games. Cool. Very cool. Um, and also uh, you can follow Kurt on Twitter at uh, HG underscore 101. Uh, I am at Kevin Larrabee, uh, of course, at Back of My Play, where I'm doing giveaways and uh Maybe you're still going to have a chance to win an awesome copy of Henry Hatsworth and the uh, Puzzling Adventure, uh, which I'm going to be giving away on the next episode. There's still some time to enter it for the instructions. You got to go back to episode 47 with the Brave Wave guys and uh, find out how to enter for that. It's really easy. I think you just need to submit your favorite UK developed game or something like that and then uh also uh, in terms of the brave wave stuff uh retroactive part one is now available for purchase you can pick up that whole thing i think it's like five bucks or it's like eight bucks for the the um the album on 
uh, the uh, website for those guys. So uh, check it out, bravewave.net, uh, uh, hardcoregaming101.net for Kurt stuff. And yeah, I think that is uh, going to do it for this episode. Thanks as always for tuning in and listening. I'd really appreciate it if you go on iTunes and uh, subscribe through there and submit a, a positive review. We had some people that were review bombing the show, uh, the same dude decided to go through with a couple usernames through the tracking of Google. You're able to figure that out, unfortunately, but, um, you know, I do play all these games on original hardware, not on emulators, but thanks for trying to, uh, review bomb the, uh, show. <laughs> but if you, if you're at that point in life where that's what you do with your time, <laughs> that's, that's not good. Uh, so <laughs> thanks as always, uh, like I said, for listening, uh, we will catch you next time. Here's some more music from Castlevania 2 Belmont's Revenge.